Producer's note. This episode contains in-depth discussions of sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape of an underaged victim, domestic abuse, and institutional cover-ups of rape and sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. This is Kalista Uriarte from University Place, Washington, and you're listening to Full Mutuality. Welcome back to the Full Mutuality Podcast. I'm Nate, and on today's episode, we're doing things a little differently. Uh, So if you've been listening for a while, you probably already know that we're a part of the Dauntless Media Collective, um, which is a network of podcasters uh, and a community of people who are all on some path out of the oppressive religious traditions that we came from. Uh, But if this is your first time listening, welcome. So here's a little bit of background info on the Dauntless Media Collective. So uh, a couple years ago, my partner and co-host Gail and I became friends with Jessica Goforth. And after some time getting to know each other, we discovered that we both had podcasts. (laughs) So Jessica is actually the co-host of the Leaving the Village podcast, which she'll talk about in just a minute. Um, And together, she and I formed this network, uh, specifically aimed at providing content and community for cult survivors and others who are leaving abusive religious environments. Um, If you are leaving a religious cult or you have been through uh, spiritual abuse, please feel free to connect with us through our website, dauntless.fm, where you'll find different ways of getting in touch with us, links to our Discord server, where we have a growing community of others who are exploring life beyond religious fundamentalism, uh, and resources for education and intervention, such as the Reclamation Collective, a group we regularly partner with that provides support for folks who are navigating religious trauma and adverse religious experiences. Anyway, here's a little bit about today's episode. So Gail and I had a conversation with Chris Peterman, who founded the Facebook page Do Right BJU and organized the first ever protest on the campus of my alma mater, Bob Jones University. Our conversation with him is divided into four parts, with each part guided by talking points our fellow podcasters provided, which will give you a sense of the themes and topics of their shows. You'll also get a chance to hear from each of them throughout the episode. The first part of the conversation will be about growing up in a Christian fundamentalist cult, which is kind of what Leaving the Village is all about. So joining me now is my good friend, Jessica, who hosts that podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Nate. It's good to be here. So on Leaving the Village... What cult do you talk about specifically? We talk about IBLP, or the Institute in Basic Life Principles, and their homeschool program, ATI, uh, the Advanced Training Institute. I I like to think of ATI and IBLP as like the redheaded stepchild of Bob Jones. (laughs) 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 They were definitely in the same sphere of mm. of thinking the same world of fundamentalism um bill gothard just kind of took everything in the direction of homeschooling exclusively whereas bob jones was much more concerned with private schools and um and then obviously they're funneling into their university right and so, yeah, we were very aware of of Bob Jones, and I knew a lot of people who went there, 
And it was kind of one of those things where I wished I was allowed to be that worldly. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got to go to Bob Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but we weren't allowed to go to college. So, but we, I was aware and I was watching um, what was happening over there and just very, very keenly aware of the world and the environment that was um, Bob Jones mm. is Bob Jones. Yeah. And I think one of the connecting points, like I, I didn't grow up in IBLP, but we had a couple families that attended the church that I grew up in. Um, given our church's relationship to Bob Jones University, one of the things that seems to come up in these kinds of conversations is just how similar the teachings and the rules mm-hmm. um, are between the Bob Jones University world and the ATI IBLP world. The, the, the way that they want people to structure their homes. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. The way that they, like I remember my, my pastor's family didn't have a TV um, mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. that's sort of a hallmark of IBLP and ATI uh, They wanted families. you to watch their their really cheesy, crappy movies all the time. <laughs> right, and stuff right. That they made themselves. Yep, yep. They <laughs> yep. would. The only TVs that were in my church family's homes were connected to a VCR. There were no rabbit ears. There was no cable. No, no, no. Just a VCR. No. Just. In fact, we were supposed to call them monitors. Oh, we called a TV. You (laughs) had a monitor and you had a VCR attached to your monitor. Uh, (laughs) So you could get around it. It's so (laughs) wild. Yeah. And we had, I mean, Bob Jones had their own film production company. Yes. And we watched your films. Yeah. That was, that was some of the things we were allowed to. Yeah. Part of the approved. Uh huh. Yeah. (laughs) Approved entertainment. Stuff like Milo and Otis. Like, why were we. Like we watched Milo and Otis like on repeat. I remember watching it at the training center. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yes. That's so fascinating. <laughs> I'm gonna take a walk outside today. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember it. It was like the highlight of our day. And then I remember being like, I think this is for little kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but the, these yeah. worlds are so insular. They uh, they are, yeah, and similar, and and lots and lots of overlap, as you were saying, just a lot. It, it they went hand in hand. They just were in the same family. Yeah, we just weren't yeah. quite as polished as you guys were. Yeah, I mean the publishing. And cool. Yeah, right. Cool, cool, it's like, right? <laughs> right. I, you had a whole university. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think the the connecting point really for um, for this part of the conversation is the up the cult like upbringing and the abuse yes. in the family um, mm-hmm. that tends to happen. So uh, I'm really excited for you all to uh, to hear this conversation. It's a very powerful yes. one. It's um, it's a little bit painful. So all sorts of trigger yeah. warnings and content warnings um, for. Uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, all of that stuff is is going to be in this conversation. So, um, yeah. but yeah, anyway, check us out, dauntless.fm. All of our podcasts participated in this episode. So I'm really excited for you all to hear it. Yes, so excited. I'm curious, Chris. Uh, so many would consider BJU... Um, if not a cult of itself, kind of part of a cult, um, probably like the 
the headquarters or the epicenter of the IFB or the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist movement, which I would argue is a cult um, within the larger cult of, of evangelicalism. Um, so it's it's kind of rare for people outside of um, the IFB world to end up at Bob Jones University. So I'm curious, was that your was that your upbringing? Is that how you kind of landed at at BJU? Yeah, so I did grow up in the IFB. Um, I'm actually from Florida, um, and so when I was growing up, I attended a Christian school in Bradenton, Florida. Um, I started in K four and went all the way through 12th grade. And that Christian school was started by uh, a graduate of Bob Jones, and it became like a feeder school and a feeder church. Um, so growing up, you know, we always had BJU evangelistic teams come and like, you know, do their little song and dance pony show to get their money to bring their little students on up. You know, you know how they do. Um, mm-hmm. So it was always ingrained in us from the jump that – if you wanted to be anything, if you wanted to be a good little Christian soldier for the faith, you had to go to the bastion of the evangelical independent fundamental Baptist faith, Bob Jones. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like a good little boy, I did what I was told. <laughs> that sounds so familiar to me. We had those uh, those evangelistic teams coming coming to my uh, church and school. I attended the church that ran our uh, Christian school as well. So I was I was inundated. It really is a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It, I, and I completely agree. I was going to say for those of us like me who grew up evangelical, which I agree with you, Nate, it's cult too, but it's a cult within a cult IFB. I would say for people adverse to the word cult, as we were comfortable using it, but it's just high control authority groups is what is a good way of like phrasing that for people who are like, oh, I don't know if I want to use the word cult. Just think how high control, high control authority groups. Evangelicalism has a lot of that. And then fundamentalism kind of doubles down on that in some very weird ways. For those who aren't who aren't a part of it, what would you like, what do you tell outsiders of like examples of how strange things were in your upbringing? Like what were the weird things that kind of even stand out to you now as like, yeah, that was, that was actually a part of my religious upbringing. Like it is odd or like, are there certain things about it when you're trying to like help friends understand how intense it was that you would give as an example of how it impacted you or what it was like? Yeah, like for me, growing up, you know, they always preached about how evil the world was and how, you know, we needed to remain like a close body. So, you know, we could make sure that none of us were stumbling. And, you know, of course, we weren't, we were very discouraged from going to the movie theater because it was the Mm -hmm. devil's house. And, you know, your testimony would be hurt if someone saw you going in because who knows what you were going to see. Um, obviously no drinking. Um, right. They even taught at my church that you really shouldn't have TVs in your home. Um, Mm. it was all about, you know, controlling the narrative that you're getting and controlling your worldview so they can manipulate it to continue to have followers, continue to get your money. Um, it's absolutely 100% a cult. And, it's so crazy thinking back on it, like 10 years removed. Oh my God, I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> how insular we were. And Nate, it sounds very similar to you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in the same kind of environment. Um, you know, the church that I was a part of, they strongly discouraged families from having TVs. Um, my my family, um, like my parents, my, my dad 
didn't grow up Christian, and my mom grew up kind of mainstream evangelical. Um, so entering the fundamentalist world for my parents was a, a new experience, and it was I, I I've never asked my mom her perspective on this, and I'd be curious to know how she experienced going from the sort of mainstream evangelical world where they didn't really have those strict music standards, and they didn't have rules about. Um, about drinking and uh, going to movie theaters and stuff, and going from there to the church that I grew up in. I'm very curious what what, what she thinks and how how that went down for her. But um, but yeah, like our, we were strongly in, uh, discouraged to to have TVs in our in our houses. And in fact, um, when I was growing up, our TV once we started attending that church, um, our TV was kind of tucked away in a in a back room or it was always like never, never in an area where if we were having guests over that people would just see it instantly, you know, mm-hmm. like we would, and, and if we were having church guests over, we would be in the parlor where there was no television. And even the, 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 Quick, the throw a tablecloth over like, the TV in that other room in case they peek in. <laughs> right. It, the world is a little more foreign to me, but I wonder if there's like, um, I wonder if, like, because I don't, I don't know your mom's perspective either on on it, Nate. And I'd be curious, but I wonder how much of it coming out of an evangelical, like going from evangelicalism into fundamentalism, I would imagine, might be a little bit for some people a sense of security in the. And it's time to sound like a weird mm. thing, but like to have someone spell out for you how to do everything the right way, like mm. that's at least that's what I would imagine it could provide for someone of like, well, how is the right way to live as a Christian? Fundamentalism will tell you exactly. Right. How, like there's no ambiguity, right? Like it's sort of like compared to like mainstream evangelicalism where people, you know, debate and have discussions. Oh, I don't know. Harry Potter's bad. Oh, I don't feel that way. Or I celebrate Halloween. <laughs> I don't. You know, like they'll have mm-hmm. these like these conversations where they'll get heated and upset at each other for having different positions. But at the end of the day, it's not spelled out. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> curious. Um, go Going back to your to your upbringing, when you were when you were growing up in this church, what was that? Were you a, the kind of kid who was questioning the world that you were in, or did you just, you know, abide by all the the standards? You didn't you didn't really push the boundaries a little bit. Were you a rebel, or were you trying to make your parents happy and just want everyone to be happy with you? Um, I was trying to make my parents and everyone around me happy. Um, mm. I bought into the whole thing. You know, I mean. I, I was born into it, um, yeah. you know, from literally the second I dropped out of my mama, they had me in that church. And mm. then obviously I went right into that school and I was involved in all the school stuff, but also all of the church stuff. So it was, we were there at that location around the same people, probably five, six days of the week. Mm. And I worked there as well oh, wow. um, okay. to earn money. So li- literally my entire worldview was there. So of course I was trying to, you know, keep these people happy. And um, it was my whole worldview. It's what I believed. It's I thought the rest of the world was going to hell and that they mm. were all, you know, evil people that were trying to make me stumble away from Jesus, you know. <laughs> Looking back, there are a lot of logical inconsistencies with what we were taught and what's in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, I, I would have never questioned that. My pastor told me my pastor was appointed by God to lead us. Right. Right. So if he told you that dinosaur bones were planted there is Satan's way of trying to trick us into believing God. <laughs> <and create the laughs> Literally, they right? said that. 
I hear this from fundamentalists and as an evangelical, I'm like, really? They did say that to you? And I'm like, no, this is a fundamentalist thing that happens, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I was just taking a guess and you're like, yes, (laughs) that happened. Yeah. My my pastor growing up was a little, had a, a little, a little bit of some leanings into the Calvinist world. So his, his perspective was more of the, that was God's sovereignty. He put those there as a way to test our faith. Mm, what a loving God. To, I know, right? Test. I find, uh, not, not to jump ahead, but I find especially Calvinism to be utterly disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep you're, you're yeah, definitely going to get two yeses from me and Nate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and that was yes. that was one of the last stops that I made on my way out of evangelicalism was um, mm. was at one of those Mark Driscoll style churches. But we've we've covered that quite a lot on on the podcast. Did you land in the Calvinist world later on? Like, I know we're not going to jump there like and just dwell in it, but like, did you make a stop there as well, Christopher? In that I Calvinism did not. Before? You did no. not. Good for you. Oh, <laughs> Good you for you. Yes, I was spared. Yeah. Um, now we did have certainly a lot of debates of Bob Jones about it. Um, mm-hmm. We talked yes. about the schism that happened at Bob Jones years ago a, a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. but um, I never fell into that logical trap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things about the IFB world is that it's rife with, and just like the evangelical world at large. It is rife with abuse, sexual abuse, misconduct, uh, harassment, verbal abuse. It's just rampant in the IFB world. This is probably jumping ahead a little bit, but I do want to kind of touch on it here because it's part of your backstory prior to Bob Jones. But there was an incident at your at your church growing up too, right, of, of abuse. Was that something that you were aware of before you went to college or was that um, something that you kind of built an awareness of after the fact? Um, so there were, there were unfortunately multiple um, issues at the church I grew up in, in Bradenton. Um, mm. One of them was uh, a friend of mine that I went to school with. She was in my same class. Like I said, we, we grew up in that. So from very early, I think she started in like first grade all the way through like, I think her family moved to Canada. Um, I don't know. It was probably like in the 10th grade. So I was really close to her. Like we were very small classes. I knew her. Um, couple. So I graduated from high school in 2006, um, went to Bob Jones for a couple of years and then had to sit out um, due to like financial issues. I went and tried to work to save up some money. Um, I believe it was during that time that I was talking to to this individual who I'd grown up with, who also had gone to Bob Jones, and um, she confided in me and you know and some others that um, her, her brother sexually assaulted, molested, and raped her. Um, it was brought to the church's attention. It was brought to um, you know leadership's attention, and it was swept under the rug. Um, so it, that was shocking. That kind of kind of blew up my worldview because I knew him as well. Um, and then around that same time, I actually found out that my sister, um, who had also gone to the same church and same school I did back in Florida, was um, raped by a deacon of that church. And the pastor was informed. And of course, you know, to protect the cause of Christ, nothing was done about it. Um, 
and then not related to Bob Jones, but I also found out that my father had um, also has sexually assaulted and raped uh, his daughters, my sisters, and it was brought to the pastor's attention. And just like before, not to hurt the cause of Christ, my mother was instructed to um, not leave him, not seek any type of police action. Um, and that, that entire, it, it was, it all happened in about a year span. It really shook my, um, understanding of my faith, um, my belief in the structure of the IFB and of the church that I grew up in. And of course, Bob Jones. And I began talking about this in online groups and connecting with other people who had very similar experiences. And, uh, I just began to learn about how the church was responding to these victims. And it, it was terrible. Mm. There was no support for these people. So all of that combined kind of was began shaping my view of religion and eventually led to my exit. Okay, it's time for a break. Brace yourselves, everyone, because if you thought that was bad, this conversation is about to get even more harrowing. Before we continue, though, I just want to mention that we had initially put this episode together quite a while ago, before Megan and Cortland from the Thereafter podcast joined our network. But I do want to give you a little taste of what their podcast is like. Welcome to the Thereafter podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change. We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray. In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite. There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing. Come along as we explore the all-too-often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. I mean, when, I, when I'm thinking and listening to you talking about how all those things happened in a row and how previously this was a secure world for you, you know, you were bought, you've bought into it all, you trusted the leaders, you trusted your, like, you didn't have any gripes with all of it. You, you really believed this was sincere. Mm-hmm. And then you're hearing all these stories of, like, within these structures, they went to leaders and they were told, like, things that were really traumatizing to them and didn't give them proper support. Was there a piece of you wondering, like, okay, if I bring this up, it can't be everywhere. There's got if, – if I bring this up in my circles, people are going to be upset by it, too. It's not just going to be me feeling – like, did you start to try and get feelers for how the fundamentalist world, like, it, people around you at Bob Jones or in your environments would respond to you expressing these concerns about what had happened to people you knew? And did you start to get a sense that this was bigger than just those stories you heard that, like, just shut up, Christopher? <laughs> like, this is what I'm imagining, but I'm wondering, yeah. was that – yeah. I, I did. And so I started talking to my friends about it. And um, I was talking to, you know, like peers or like support people that were, you know, mentors or I, I don't remember the terms they use anymore. Uh, like people that were supposed to help guide your faith that were older than you. Um, and, you know, of course they responded with, oh, that's terrible. You know, um, we should pray for them. You know, things like that are terrible, but it always came back to, but we don't want to go to the authorities because it would hurt the cause of Christ. And, um, basically they just said, you know, 
we, we're going to handle it internally. And when I would be like, well, what, how, how are we handling this internally? Cause it seems like these, this is happening. You know, here's this situation that I know about back home. Here's this situation that I know about back home. Um, I've been talking to other people in these circles and they have similar experiences as well and nothing's being done. Um, and basically they were like, you, you need to be quiet because you're going to hurt the cause of Christ. Hmm. So you were hearing, shut up, please. Literally. Literally. You're going to hurt Jesus by speaking up for other people. What was that like for you? Like, did when you heard it, were you upset right away or did you buy into it and wrestle with it and be like, wait, this is not sitting well? Like, how did how did you feel hearing that as sort of the response to things? So by this point, um, so I had, you know, gone to Bob Jones for, I think, about three years at that point, And then I um, sat out to, you know, go work and try to earn some money so I could go back to that place. Um at that point, when I had taken that little sabbatical, I started working in the real world, and um, you know, I got to interact with people not at the Christian school or not at the Christian church. Like I was working at Walmart, and I was working at J.C. Penney, um, but like they were people that were just regular, normal people, and you know, getting to talk to them and seeing that they weren't going to, you know send me to hell with their evil whatever whatever you know right. how we were kind of taught um I, I really was so insulated just being around normal people it kind of like woke me up a little bit to start questioning some things you know of course i was getting older as well um mm-hmm. and you know not to mention the fact that you know i'm gay as hell <laughs> um <laughs> the dealing with that so there's all these different things going on in my head like of course i wanted to be a good little christian boy growing up and go to bob jones and do the right thing but um I, and i didn't really have any issues for my first three years i sat out and then i started like my world started growing and i started hearing these stories that started eroding my faith in this whole ifb system and then i got to see people in the real world and that they weren't evil and of course at the same time still struggling with my sexuality and how to reconcile that with a god that was supposed to love me but was going to send all these gay people to hell because of something they didn't choose um did you acknowledge it to yourself at that time while you were sitting out and and meeting all these people were you were you out to yourself like were you acknowledging to yourself that you were queer or was just you were Praying, trying to pray it away. Or... I was trying to pray it away. Mm. Uh, it, during the day, you know, we we'd go out and hand out tracks and try to win the the gaze to Christ and win, win the loss to Him. And then at night, you know, you know what happens at night. Um, <laughs> and then in the morning, I would pray and cry and beg Jesus to take it away. And it, it was like this cycle, and that mm. nothing ever changed. Um, yeah, that was. That was difficult. Yeah. Um, You've been through a lot. Like, what a, like, your story at this point, I'm just like, that's so much. (laughs) No, 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 not all over the place. But it's, I mean, if I'm going to go visit Christopher, how old were you around then? Like, 20 something years old? Yeah. At that point, I was probably like 22. 22. And your whole world is literally collapsing around you. Like, you have only known this world. Yeah. And it, you didn't hear one story. It's in your family. You're processing your father, you're processing your sister, your mom, all of these pieces that, yeah. like, 22 year old or 20 year old Christopher needed support. He needed somebody to listen and care and recognize this is horrific. Yeah. That you are processing a lot of trauma. And during that same year, I 
was excommunicated from the church that I grew up in because I was seen at an Applebee's drinking a strawberry daiquiri. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> so really, all of these pillars of my life were collapsing around me. Wow. And this is like before you go back to Bob Jones, right? Like this before is in between you get you you get excommunicated from your church. Now, does that affect Bob Jones's willingness to take you back? Or they, no. do they become aware? They were not aware. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yeah. If if I remember correctly, you you only needed um, the. Of course, I didn't. I didn't leave and go back. But from what I recall, um, you only needed the pastoral recommendation when to you, start off. Yeah, to start <laughs> off when you're yep. applying as a first year student. Yeah. So um, the yeah, church so. might not keep in contact, and you could stay there even if you got excommunicated. Ooh, was there a piece of you that just didn't want to go back knowing all the stuff that like you got excommunicated from your church, you're learning about the IFB world in a broader context mm-hmm. and the stuff that's not making sense. Does this thought of going back to Bob Jones, is it starting to scare you at this oh, point? Absolutely. And I had friends that were kind of already moving out of it, like begging me like, Chris, you do not want to go back. It's not going to be good. Um, hmm. But... Bob Jones wasn't accredited at that time. All of that money, all of those credits would have been just thrown away. And I only had a year left. Yeah. I think Nate, when he hacked out his last year, that was his thought too. It's like, I only have to keep my head down for for one more year and I'm out of here. One more year. So I made the decision to go back. So, And there's a twist in your story. Yeah. So you go back. (laughs) So you go back to Bob Jones and let's go ahead and take that detour. Who is Tina Anderson? So, like I said, as I sat out for this year to earn money, um, I had these friends that were already starting to leave the movement, and they were reaching out to me, introducing me to new people, adding me to groups to try to like open my horizons and open my eyes to what it actually was. Um, in that, I met this woman named Tina Anderson. She was part of some of these groups, and I got introduced to her, and we became very friendly, and she was sharing her story. Um, she grew up in New Hampshire, and... Um, in the same IFB environment, went to a Christian uh, church. Um, her pastor was Chuck Phelps. And um, when she was a teenager, I believe 15 years old, um, she was raped by uh, a member of the church, a deacon. And so, uh, like I said before, my sister also had that same experience at my church. So a lot of this was resonating with me. And um, Before Me Too, you didn't need to be told believe women. You were <laughs> I like, not. I believe women. I know the shit they're being put through, and I am very well aware that this is a reality that women are going through around me. Yeah. So, you know, she was telling me her story about how um, Chuck Phelps, her pastor, made her stand in front of the con- congregation there and apologize for being sexually assaulted, raped, and impregnated at 15 by a deacon of the church. He also then forced her to go out of state, give birth to the baby, and then put it up for adoption. There's so much there to unpack. I want <laughs> yeah. to start with t- being told to apologize to the church. So she's apologizing to the church, even though she was assaulted. How, in a, in a fundamentalist world, what what is she saying as her apology? Like, she's not like, I'm sorry I got assaulted. Clearly, she's being framed as the, as the person who's done something wrong, right? She's, what is the, what's the kind of apology they're expecting someone to give in those kind of scenarios? Now, I wasn't there when she had to apologize, and I don't know the specifics, but I know of multiple other people that have had to apologize for things like this as well. And 
you know, if if a woman felt any type of arousement or pleasure at all, um, despite the fact that she's underage, and I'm not saying that's the case for Tina, um, in, in any of these situations, they ask you really personal questions like, did you feel any type of pleasure? If you did, you need to apologize because that's a sin. Um, you need to apologize for having sex, even though it wasn't your choice, because that is a sin against God. And God said, don't have sex before marriage. So, you know, she had to get up and apologize. I, I can't even imagine what I would say if my pastor told me I had to apologize for being raped by an old-ass man when I'm 15 years old. Ooh. Or burn that church to the ground. God. Like, like yeah. for real. Like, you think of Jesus driving people out of the temple whips for just exploiting people financially. What What do you do with someone who's in charge who's raping people? Like, you burned, you burned that shit down. Like, I can't mm-hmm. think of what else you can do. Literally. Um, I, one of the things I've heard often in those scenarios is they tell women, like, you tripped up this mm-hmm. if you were um and and it, this is not just fundamentalism in evangelicalism these kind of lines can get used against people of like well you know the devil used you this is a man of god he you mm-hmm. know he loves the lord you were used as a temptation to him like yeah. the responsibility that gets yeah mm, the responsibility that gets put on a woman to try and make her some sort of a responsible part of the whole story instead of the person who's done the harm being yeah. held responsible it's it gets shuffled off into in patriarchal culture you know even if it's a little bit of patriarchy not like the whole you know blatant one it's still part of the culture too like i think of the billy graham rule and how mainstream that was of like mm-hmm. men don't be alone with a woman um and i think like in the secular world like i, oh, I read a quote today and i'm gonna tangent off for a second it was April A. Joy. I don't know if anyone else follows her or knows knows who she is, but she does a lot of um, great deconstruction material, and I've probably quoted from her before. Um, this was her her comment that stuck with me. I'm going to quickly look it up. While you're looking that up, that just reminded me of um, Mike Pence and not being in rooms with women. Oh, oh my God. God. I can't believe we had right? that in the White House. Oh, my uh, God. Right? But that's – so you're, that's a great thing. Like, that shows how how – common like people mm-hmm. are like oh this fringe belief and you're like no your vice president who was evangelical mm-hmm. stated this out loud and it's not like the evangelicals went don't say that that's embarrassing I'm like yes what a man of god he he thinks this way so here was the april ajoy comment she said um drag queens taught me my worth is just in being my authentic self the church taught me my worth was in my virginity at the wedding altar which one of these sounds more like sexualizing <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah and when I think about that and I think about how outside the church, I never had a man say he can't be alone with me because I could trip him up. Like that, like being around me one on one, I was somehow a stumbling block or temptation. Like I never had that weird vibe. I'm not going to say guys in the world outside a church can't be creepy because, yes, men in general get <laughs> lots of shades of creepy all over. Mm-hmm. But just to be blatantly told in a church that men are taught to be suspicious of you as a woman, to feel like you are going to be a threat to them, uh, if the, you know, just by tempting them. Um, that kind of vibe is really, it's really creepy. And so then that responsibility gets thrown at women when guys do horrific things as like you had a responsibility in this somehow. Because well, you're, you come from Eve. You guys were those sinners, right? From, you guys led men astray right out. Like you sin entered the world for, through women in the evangelical and fundamentalist beliefs. So we are the, the ones to be looked at with suspicion, right? That's part of the whole package and narrative that kind of goes out. And so you got to witness firsthand how that was being played out with 
somebody who you did who you'd met through your groups and who you had heard her story and how does Chuck Phelps so this guy ships her so we talked about having to apologize in front of the church which is horrific and then they ship her ship her off mm-hmm. ship her off send her off to have that baby so you know they don't have to deal with that in church they don't want that embarrassment and then they force her to give it up for adoption force her to give up her baby yeah. and then and then if if i remember the story correctly she was then sent to live with another IFB family way out of state, like out yes. Wisconsin or Indiana or something like Just that. Just imagine her life. Like, she is told that she's done something wrong. She's impregnated at 15. Her entire world gets um, crushed. She has to apologize for something she didn't even have a hand in. And then all of her friends are taken away. She has to give up this baby. And then she's pulled off to some random family to live out the rest of her who knows how long. Like that's I, I can't even imagine. No. And the person responsible for making this happen and putting this into play and and handling this situation is Chuck Phelps. So Chuck Phelps, how does he tie into your story? I mean, you met her through these groups online, and you, you and then how does that tie back into where you are and where um, things go? Yeah. So Chuck Phelps was a member of the board of trustees of Bob Jones University. So I, when I came back to the school, I had been hearing these stories and obviously heard about you know what happened to my family, heard about what happened to my friend. Um, so I went to the dean of men and I was like, hey, I want to bring this situation up to you. Um, so this is my last year. I've been out for a couple of years, but I'm like, hey. I've heard this story. Um, this guy named Chuck Phelps is on the board. And I have a problem with my tuition money, you know, going to you guys with this man on the board making decisions for this university. And I think that you guys should look at it and, you know, remove him from the board because it's a mm. bad look for the cause of Christ. And I threw that one out there. <laughs> oh, man. When you started nice. this story about you going to the – I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no, Chris, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah. This is going to go down in flames. This is just – they're not going to want to hear of you speaking up. Was it Dalton? Was It was Dalton. Of course. It was good old oh, John Nate. Dalton. Mm. Nate knows who you're talking yep. about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had many meetings with John Dalton. <laughs> was 20-year-old you imagining this could go good? Was there, yes. Were you imagining? Yes. I still mm. had faith that if something was brought, that they would at least look at it. And I went in, and he literally told me to stop talking about it. Wow. And so you know what I did? I marched my happy little gay ass out there. I created a little Facebook group. And started posting about it every day. Do right BJU. Mm. Because was the founder were there hashtags a thing back then? Was like hashtag do right BJU. There was it <laughs> was a long time ago, but there was just starting to be hashtags. <laughs> yeah, yeah hashtag. and I remember wow. I remember that that uh that group. I think I joined at one point. I remember okay, so then now you gotta talk about the, the campaigns and everything, the the stuff that you were organizing. This is this is a big deal. Okay, I'm gonna paint the picture a little bit. Bob Jones University had never had a student pro a student run protest um and they that just was kick you all out for protesting yeah. yes they do that was a point of pride for the administration that they had never that no there was no student organization that they that students never rose up to express themselves in any meaningful way and i believe correct me if i'm wrong Nate, that they talked about that being a point of pride in chapel and in meetings oh yeah I remember hearing it like in freshman orientation. Yes. I remember them talking about it in chapel multiple times. Yeah. 
What I'm hearing is them saying, we are in friggin' control. Nobody can oppose us. We will not let anyone ever speak against anything we're doing. And we want you to know that, that this is how we operate. And this is the culture of this school. Like they're kind of, Mm -hmm. if they're speaking about it at orientation as a point of pride, they're saying we're in control of the students. 100%. I mean, normal people don't understand what being a student at Bob Jones University was like. Like from being unable to walk on the grass to being unable to have a five o'clock shadow to, you know, anything, anything and everything. Couldn't have headphones, couldn't go to the movies, couldn't have a car until you were like a junior or something. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I granted, and I want to caveat all this. It's been years, almost over decades. So maybe some facts are wrong, but certain um, things have changed. I saw, I saw promotional pictures of, of life on campus and, um, women were wearing pants. Um, And Nate was just like, what? There was, oh, it gets, it gets, it gets better. So then the next step from there, women wearing pants, walking around on campus, um, a guy was wearing, um, not high rise, but the, their ankles were showing no socks, uh, in sight. So he must have been wearing really? no shoes. Yeah, the expression and on then, Christopher's face. And then, <laughs> scandalous <this picture> no socks <laughs> was of students walking on the grass. They get oh, everything now. They do. <laughs> they well, good do. For them. Those spoiled <laughs> yeah. kids walking on the grass. What is this world coming what to that you're letting this kids world walk coming on the grass? I know. Walking on the grass at Bob Jones University. Mm-hmm. Next Lord thing you know, Almighty. they won't have to go to chapel every day. <laughs> I mean, as an outsider, hearing you guys have shock over students walking on the grass is amazing. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's actually, like, as an outsider to this culture, I'm like, what? Yeah. This is some sort of big deal. How? Why? In what world? But like you guys said, BJU, a very unique experience, very different than other universities. Um, and so doing the first ever student protest in a culture that says, uh, no, we pride ourselves on the fact we are in control of this group. Students don't do this. And so that communicates to you guys probably that you can get kicked out for doing this. Were you aware when you started this group that you're pushing that kicked out boundary if you get caught? Yes. I was aware that there were definitely risks involved in what I was doing on Facebook um, and speaking out in person. Um, were you trying to disguise your identity at some in some way? Like you were saying stuff publicly on your Facebook, but I'm sure the stuff you were saying in groups was more specific and probably what you let like let more publicly was more guarded. Or how did you go about um, you know trying not to get kicked out? Um, I didn't give that that much thought. Twenty um, something year old 20, passionate <laughs> kid, you're like exactly <laughs> like what? What are consequences? Um, <laughs> How you know, fast I, did that? Those did those consequences start to hit? How quick did that creep up on you? So you know, when I started the the Facebook page, it gained you know a lot of traction pretty quickly, um, a lot of media coverage, and um, you know. Th- it was already in the media about Tina Anderson and Chuck Phelps and that whole situation. So it kind of got picked up and snowballed. Um, mm. uh, so, and obviously the local media and even national media is aware of Bob Jones and 
um, the craziness surrounding it. So one of the reporters had actually asked um, the, a spokesperson, I don't remember the spokesperson's name, but um, like what's going to happen to the people that are talking about this and specifically, you know, what's going to happen if someone goes to the DRABGU protest on December 12th? What year was that? Like 2011, 2011. 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, And the spokesperson said anybody involved would not have um, consequences. They wouldn't be kicked out. Um, And I believed him. The spokesperson for BJU said that in response to the reporter. To this concept of that there might be a student protest that might be coming going down the pipe soon, and what's going to happen to these students? Yes, they'll be fine. They'll That's be fine. What the school is saying, Paula. Yep. So you listen to this, you're like, oh, I can continue doing what I'm doing. Yep. This is going to work. Yep. I thought we, I was going to be fine. Um, so I started the the group probably. I think we went back to school in August. So I probably started it in like September or October. I think, and then, you know, these are rough dates. Um, and then I had scheduled uh, the protest to be held in December. So in between like September and December, it had gotten some media coverage. The spokesperson had said that, and you know, we started talking. Um, and I really had no consequences during that time frame. Hmm. Now, obviously, because I was speaking out, um, I did have to go and have like weekly meetings with Dalton, the Dina men, um, you know, just checking in and making sure that my walk with Jesus was good. And of, and oh of course, God. you know, they made me meet weekly with um, my floor leader as well. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, I was having all these so counseling like- sessions. Mm-hmm. You felt like their surveillance of you had amped up. Like yes. they were like ramping up their, they're paying attention to they're you. Paying attention. They're zoning in on you. But I wasn't getting any demerits. Like I was talking and I thought, you know, what's the harm in talking? If I can show them that this is hurting people, this is hurting women that are in this college, then what's the harm in that? If I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm not out here breaking the rules. Now, granted, I was breaking some rules, but they didn't help with that. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I just assumed that I'd be okay. He said I was going to be okay. Yeah. Ugh. What's wrong with standing up for women? <laughs> At a place like BJU? <laughs> At a place like BJU. So, um, you know, December comes around. Um, right before the protest, um, so we had like several different things that we wanted to happen. So we wanted Chuck Phelps um, removed uh, from the Board of Trustees. We wanted Bob Jones to... Um, review how their counseling um their counselors were speaking to victims both men and women and we wanted to bring in um, an outside group to review all of these um you know practices and allegations and to provide a report those were our three main pillars and you got all three oh, hang I, on I before well, we go there well hang on yeah, before well, that's, we get we're there jumping ahead <laughs> I wanted to ask, you mean, you had mentioned the stories of the women and the situations of people close to you and what they'd gone through. <clears throat> and now you're talking about wanting the school to review how they're handling internal assaults and, and sexual assault with regard to BJU. Had that, as you were organizing this stuff, had you become aware that there was a problem inside the school? Was that Absolutely. like a new component? That, yes. 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 So as I was getting more connected to these groups, and then as Do Right BJU, the Facebook page started blowing up, people were reaching out to me former students, current students, and telling me, hey, I, you know, I'm going to say probably 75% of them were uh, assaults or rapes outside of the school, but they would bring them to the university and then they were told, oh, well, what did you do to cause it? 
And then they would go to these counseling sessions. Well, you need to also apologize for your role in this. Um, but And there was a significant amount that actually happened on campus. And mm-hmm. there were several instances of students that were raped or assaulted that were actually kicked out because of that. Wow. And they were the victims. Wow. And so I was getting all of this information and I was bringing it to Dalton. I was saying more and more people are coming to me and saying that this is what your the counselors, this is what the dean of women and her little subordinates were doing to them. And this is the kind of counseling that we're providing and this is not healthy. This is not helping these women heal from this trauma. That must have been a whole lot for a 20-something-year-old to have to carry so many stories of, like, harm inside the university. And, like, I guess people see what you were leading and wanted to tell their story to somebody who would probably was really um, empowering for them to realize, here is a student risking himself to stand up for us in an environment that never listened to us, that never believed our stories, that always pinned it back on us. Here's someone saying, that's wrong. This is not the way to go about it. We're not handling this well. So I'm sure more and more people felt the need to open up to you because they could tell you were willing to risk it for for speaking mm. up. Um, and that's a lot. That mm. is an absolute huge weight for one person to hear so many stories. And these stories would just call back to your own family, like call back to your own sisters, call back to people super close and tight to you who have gone through her. Like, I can't imagine what was going on internally in you, the passion you must have had walking into these meetings and wanting to see change. Like this would have been coming from the bottom of your heart in terms of just like, I'm not speaking for one person. This isn't just one thing. This is like, a whole culture, and I keep hearing person after person saying these things to me, and I yeah. want to see, you know, a change going on here. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, um, it's it, it's emotional and it's it's heartbreaking. It, when I was in it, um, I just felt like I had to do something. It didn't seem as burdensome. You'd have time to process, probably. Yeah. Between all the counseling, the schoolwork, because I mean, (laughs) schoolwork's a lot. I worked like three jobs at the same time. Like, yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) Mm. You were in survival mode at that point. You didn't have a chance to sit through all the emotions of everything that was hitting you, and you just had to push push forward with this. So, you get this. So, what does a student protest at Bob Jones look like? How does organize? Before we we go there, um, I do want to kind of point out given the the way that all of this is going down and and how this administration is lording their their power and authority over you over students over victims um and then the the rampant power abuse in in these environments like um i don't think it's lost on anyone listening to this conversation that there are severe power imbalances um, in these in these environments. I mean, we're we're seeing that playing out in evangelicalism at large, with these scandals that are breaking out at churches all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story is sort of it's just rife with those kinds. the The amount of intimidation that the university uh, administration uses in order to keep students in line, particularly students like you who are recognizing problems in the system. Ah, God. Hey, good peoples. How y'all doing? It's your host with the most here, Dan White Hodge uh, with Profane Faith. Woo. Um, well, you know, if you're still listening, uh, which I hope you are, if you're uh, hearing my voice, um, man, wow, what a ride, huh? 
Um, Chris's story is, uh, you know, it's not unique, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think what uh, Chris is talking about is a lot of what we engage with on my podcast, Profane Faith, which I'll get to here in a minute. But um, I do believe that where we find ourselves in this era, one of the good things is that there is a large reckoning, uh, a sharp interrogation of faith. Um, And I think that's important. Um, I think about the differences of 20 years ago, uh, even 10 years ago for that matter, right? There was a sense of pastors, churches, um, religious environments that, you know, yeah, there were some problems, but hey, it's God, right? And God fixes everything. Um, and I think what Chris's story and particularly Chris's section is talking about, right, is 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 components to power. OK, uh, particularly white cishet males keeping that power. Uh, I think about my own time when I worked uh, in, in the evangelical outreach organization, you know, in young life. Um, there was that sense of power. The white man was always right, <laughs> uh, you know, in everything. Uh, and that power continued to. To, to grow in many different uh, ways and avenues. Um, and and even when it was a quote-unquote multicultural or multi-ethnic setting, uh, it was still a colonization of, of, of that. It was still an, uh, a, an imprint, if you will, of whiteness. And so Chris's uh, uh, time here, and just, just Chris's reflection on just religion, power, authority... Um, and the damage really, right, that Christianity has done, particularly evangelical Christianity. Again, these are things that I get into uh, on a on a weekly, bi-weekly basis in regards to um, faith, spirituality, um, and how we can question that. Um, there's a lot of people now who are coming out, if you will, to use that terminology, that phraseology, if we will. Um, in regards to their own experience. I mean, once upon a time, even my own excommunication out of my Seventh-day Adventist, black Seventh-day Adventist background, right? I thought I was just unique. I thought I was just, okay, this happened to me. Sure, maybe a couple of other people. Um, And the fortitude it takes, the power within a person that it takes to leave an environment like that, because the the concept and ideologies around hell and damnation are powerful fam they will keep you bound uh in in many regards uh to just about anything i mean this is a reason one of the reasons why cults exist right there's a sense of community there's a sense of connectiveness um like-minded thought Especially when you start getting into binary conversations, right, of hell or good versus evil, right? Um, and so I, we're, we're seeing that come together now in this era. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for uh, Chris surviving this, this insidiousness that is religion that tells you to act a certain way. I was just watching uh, a video on Instagram not too long ago, and and uh, it was somebody who was, quote-unquote, formerly gay uh, and is now talking about how they've been delivered and all these things. And 
it again these these type of things right i mean do we really believe if there's a god <laughs> that is out there that created all these things right that knows about quantum physics and theory and entanglement uh can travel between dimensions do we really believe that that god really cares about who you have sex with <laughs> really oh man I, I mean those are the type of things right we were just we weren't allowed to ask and i think it's important to keep asking those questions i think it's important to i think it's important to question anything that you have a funny feeling about in your gut okay and i think that is part of the spidey sense i mean i am definitely not a christian in the sense that right uh, I'm going to church and I'm doing all these things that have been laid out. I, 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 I do believe ultimately that there is a, a consciousness beyond for what we can see. Right. Uh, but what we have now in front of us, what the, what the quote unquote church is hell to the nah. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So, um, I think it's important to question. I think it's important to engage in that. And I also think it's important to walk away. Um, because religious affiliations with evangelicalism, that's not going to change. Okay. That's not going anywhere. So I think it's important to walk away. And even if it means walking away from the God you thought was God, I think that's important too. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're interested in conversations like this and similar to what Chris is describing, uh, Profane Faith, man, come on over and check us out. We're on any platform uh, that you have podcasts on. Uh, check us out. We're also at whitehodgepodcast.com. You can see what other uh, uh, podcasts that I that I also host and uh, what other platforms we're on. But of course, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud and uh, Spotify. Uh, and we really just get into a lot of different components of faith, race, gender, human sexuality, intersectionality, and of course, my favorite, hip hop and hip hop theology. So if you're interested, come check us out, subscribe, always click on the links below. Um, I know Nate and folks here, they have some good stuff. So click on those links, check us out, and let's continue on with this uh, these conversations. All right? All right. I, I want to kind of look at maybe our traditions of origin and and kind of have a conversation about how the leaders in these places, pastors, uh, administrators at, at, at universities like BJU, like um, Pensacola Christian College, Northland Baptist Bible College, these fundamentalist institutions, um, the, and their strong aversion to activism on behalf of the marginalized and abused. Um, do you have thoughts as far as why you think uh, there's such strong backlash? Um, what what this is like, what this is all about, especially if you're talking about a faith that supposedly cares for, you know, the, the least of these, right? Or they, so they, they say, claim to, you yeah. know, <laughs> what would be your analysis, Christopher? What do you think is, what do you think is the motivating factor on how, why are they, what are they, what are these leaders thinking and what's going on with their responses and any, any thoughts on that? 
it's hard because for me, I can't imagine giving that kind of response to a victim. Mm-hmm. And especially being in a position of leadership, you should have that innate desire to want to help and you know encourage and grow. Especially if, like if you're a faith leader, um, you should be called to help the least of these. But it seems like through you know all of these different stories, they're only concerned with retaining their power and their influence. Mm-hmm. And they don't see women as equals. Really, they see women as subservient. Um, and that if it puts in jeopardy any uh, man of God or any leadership or even, you know, like I said, the cause of Christ, then her story doesn't matter and that she just needs to get over it. Mm. I can't imagine being that, I don't know, cold hearted, mm. evil. Yeah. <laughs> um, where really just power is what you're after and you're going to do anything you can to retain that. Sounds like some severe narcissism. Like, oh yeah, just, I think there's a lot of narcissist in power throughout all of these, these churches. IFB, evangelical, Catholic church. Yeah, yeah, in high control groups <laughs> where you <clears throat> literally chuck your empathy out the window in order to keep power. Like, if you can do that easily, it's narcissistic behavior. Like, yeah. I don't want to diagnose anyone as a narcissist because I'm not a therapist, but like behavior that has narcissistic traits is literally taking your empathy and like doesn't matter you know person hurting going through all this that's not the focus here it is me staying in control and in power in this place that's like like i would get calls from people after like while i was doing this and they would like be sobbing on the phone telling me their stories and telling me how they went to these counselors and i'm just sitting here thinking like how can someone talk to them like this Mm. like you have literally no empathy for what this person has gone through. Mm. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah. I, I find there's, there's a thread here. And I think something that I've noticed in particularly places led by cishet white men, um, there is a tendency to never look at life through the eyes of, the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. There's a justification in trying to downplay how horrible it is, right? Like the fact that you were in a dorm named after a Klansman at Bob Jones, <laughs> yeah. and he, and you asked for to be to be taken out because of that reason, and they were like, "Nope, not a good reason." And you know the fact you have guys like, and I, we've talked about this before on our podcast, but guys like John MacArthur explaining why slavery wasn't a bad thing, like. The kind of things white men say and things that they ignore and just like, you know, kids being caged at the border, like so many things just become fine. I think you're totally right, Nate, that cishet white men, there's there's a problem. There's a very deep, deep willingness to write off the humanity of everyone else. And it's in the culture. It's wild because there there are things that even even when I was a Christian, you know, I'd look at scripture and I'd see these things popping out at me that when I then juxtapose it against ideas of justice, equity, inclusionary policies, it it makes sense, right? You know, it, it, it sort of fits with, even with the evangelical interpretation of scripture that we were fed, right? That 
I mean, the Chris Tomlin song, you know, our chains are gone, been set free, right? Supposedly, these ideas of liberation mm-hmm. um, are, are, are supposedly running through our, um, our faith tradition. And yet, we just don't, we don't see that happening. And in fact, we see people just grab, grabbing at more power and lording it over people and continuing to perpetuate the injustices that society has, you know, has, has perpetuated for, for centuries, um, mm-hmm. And we're not getting any better, and Christianity is making things worse. If these Christian leaders were literally reading the Bible and seeing what Jesus—and and again, I don't believe in Jesus—but um, seeing what <laughs> is it the words that, that like ascribed to Jesus in the Bible, they they should be the ones on the front lines of demanding equality and really socialism. And, mm-hmm. and like, but they're the complete opposite. They're you know capitalist, <laughs> yeah. power-driven, like yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a complete distortion you, of what Jesus right. said. Exactly. How is how, them believing in Jesus more of a belief in Jesus than somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus who takes his words to be meaningful mm-hmm. in terms of the values, right. right? Like that is the piece that I always keep coming back to. It's like your stated belief seems to hold priority over following these values, yeah. which it's just this cognitive dissonance. It's this living in this sort of disembodiment basically where you can say you think certain things but you don't actually have to put it into practice with live human beings a gross distortion of any biblical practice that you know it's it's disgusting i i'm i'm curious uh, chris to get your thoughts on 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 this here why do you think you know, marginalized folks uh whether you know bipoc or lgbtq plus people why do they why do they stay in these places for so long uh, and subject themselves to, to these kinds of tortures, even when there's just so much evidence of systemic problems that that continue to come to light? I mean, we're all in that category. Yeah. You, Chris, mm-hmm. as a queer person, Nate, as a, as a non-white person, and me as a woman, how, why did we all stay why in those places? What, are, <laughs> what was the reasons behind each of us mm. staying in those places? Brainwashing. Yeah. Fear of change. And uh, when I tell you, y'all don't even know how many gays were in them dorms while I was at school there. I read Lance's book, <laughs> and that was and, oh, yeah, that's true. But that was only that was only what nineteen people. That's only I yeah. mean, and yeah, no, that's a small handful. Obviously, uh, I just I find it all so frustrating, and this kind of leads me to to an, to another thought. Um, and, and you've alluded to it a little bit, but I'm curious about your evolution over time as far as your, your, your faith, your belief. Um, what does that look like over the different uh, points in your story, you know, um, from, from the young, you know, gung-ho, Bible-believing um, Christian boy to uh, somebody who would simply say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus? Um, oh, yeah. So, like I said, I, I grew up in the IFB going to church from even before I can remember, um, you know, my mother brought me, um, they enrolled me in that school. Um, I fully was immersed in that ideology, fully believed it. Um, went to Bob Jones, started questioning a little bit after I sat out. Um, but then, you know, going through this ordeal, my last year there where, I didn't see that empathy that we were told that Jesus said we should have, and that that was one of Jesus's main tenets was love, loving everyone. Um, I began to start questioning, like, well, maybe, maybe 
the IFB is incorrect. So, you know, I got kicked out. We haven't covered that yet, but I, I got mm-hmm. kicked out. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> moved to Charlotte, and um, I went to, oh, what's that crazy church in town? Um, in Charlotte. Um, um, it's a big mega elevation, church. elevation, is it? Elevation. <gasps> oh my yes. God. So I was like, let me not go to an IFB church because clearly they don't like who I am. Oh man, we uh, haven't had anyone cover Elevation with us at oh, all. Is that Stephen Fertig? Am I, that's am I Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Stephen. He is cute though, but. Um, <laughs> What are the highlights of the Stephen Furtick nonsense? I'm trying to remember because these this guy has some weird things oh, attached to when him. I was, what um, stuff he's done? When I was a children's minister, I remember seeing um, Elevation's children's curriculum, and they had coloring books. They had like the the you know the ten tenets of the church or something like that, and it was always like. Uh, had something to do with Pastor Stevens. We're we're grateful for Pastor Stevens' vision for the church. You know that kind of that kind of stuff. Yes, and I remember uh, there were coloring book pages of Pastor Stephen that the, the children <laughs> were coloring pictures oh, wow. of Pastor so, like, Stephen. Cult leader, <laughs> literally cult leader. So you had that experience where, like, what Nate is expressing with the children's coloring book and coloring in Stephen. Well, Furtick, no, he, like, wasn't a, yeah. he wasn't a kid. At, <laughs> no, I, I didn't see any of no, that. No, but, but no, I did no, no, no. See... But what the story he's telling doesn't sound far fetched from what you've seen in terms no. of his ego and cult leader. Kind it, of. it was very culty. Um, you know, I, I went for well, probably two years. Um, wasn't super involved, but um, I, I started noting this, noticing this pattern of. Um, give us money, give us money, give us money. And then I'd read Charlotte Observer articles where he bought a mansion on the lake. And, you know, oh, he bought, he went on this trip and this, that, and the third, spending all this money. I'm like, well, what about this homeless person that I see on the street every day? What are you doing for him? Why are you building these massive mega churches with all this fancy equipment? And basically, I, I mean, I was kind of struggling with, the music culture at the church at that time, because I had just left Bob Jones, obviously. And I was like, oh, this rock culture, but you can't give any money to the community. And, um, and then, you know, he started preaching against gay people and literally every sermon, give us more money, give us more money. Um, nothing really specifically stood out to me other than I just wasn't connecting with it. It just seemed like a place to go to, say you go there to give some money and to make yourself feel good, but I didn't feel anything that I wanted to feel. I didn't feel God. Felt void of anything yeah. to give you flourishing and happiness or or spiritual development or anything. Yeah. Just it was just Stephen Furtick up there spouting off what he wanted to talk about and yeah. So from Elevation, at some point you leave that world and are you done with the evangelical world after that? Done. done. I haven't been back to church since. Good for you. And how many years? Oh God. Um. Mm, well, this will be my tenth year. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because I got kicked out I don't, I don't, in 2012. Went to Elevation for probably a year, maybe a year and a half. So okay. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Do you find the more years you are out of it? This is my experience. So I'm curious. Pick other people's brains and see if they're mirror or they're different. But I feel like every year that I'm out, things become a little more clear, like a fog clearing. Absolutely. And different things pop out that maybe were not as obvious yes. at first about everything mm-hmm. you kind of went through. Yeah, it all seems so foreign now. Like, why would you let somebody stand up there and tell you how to live your life? 
Like you've got to figure out how you live your life and what you base your morality and your values on. And what is a 2000 year old fairy tale book going to tell you about the real world that we live in today? Yeah. Not a lot, yeah. especially how they're interpreting it and putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. I was going to yeah, say, exactly. I was going to say there probably are healthier ways <laughs> to use it, but it would require you to have to use your critical thinking muscles and skills mm. and not have it used as like a manual that's spoon fed to you about this is God's basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. I don't know if you guys heard <laughs> oh, that yeah. weird stuff growing up in <laughs> church, right? But I was like, here, here's the manual. Or this is God's love letter to you. I mean, I heard somebody in their church, they were told, you know, flip open the Bible and point to a verse and God's going to speak to you. And they fell on something really weird. And I'm like, yeah, the Bible's not designed to be love. God's not writing you a note. He, this is a lot of people's collections of writing. And if you take a historical approach to the Bible, you'll probably get stuff like any piece of literature. There's weird stuff. There's interesting stuff. It's like a, a smorgasbord of stuff. But like if your interpretation of this is like a consistent manual that tells you how to live, good luck because it's not a straight – like it contradicts each other in tons yes, of ways it does. in terms of how yeah. to go about and it's evolving. It's a, it's an evolving many different stories mm-hmm. put mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Oh, and not to mention so, the fact yeah. that the, the canon of scripture was determined by a bunch of old guys who <laughs> – who met up for a council and said, oh, this is what's going to stay in. And without the input of women, they just, oh, yeah. they know how to do these. <laughs> yeah. They just <laughs> and the fact some that stuff, it threw allows stuff slavery and oh, yeah. condones mm-hmm. rape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seems like, yeah. seems like a great, a great model for life. I regret to inform you, you're on chapel probation. Kinda. Mostly. <laughs> I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates and dauntless media listeners of all of the wonderful podcasts in our little network. I guess I regret regret to inform you, you're all in chapel probation. Did I say that already? I did. Okay. For this segment, I will, I want to give my thoughts on Christopher. So by this point in the podcast, you've already heard the segments from the other awesome podcasts and Statistically, like 50% of listeners have stopped listening and have clicked over to like Straight White American Jesus or maybe a true crime show. Both are good calls, actually. But but, but if you hear me right now, you're here. So I appreciate it. Truly. Christopher is clearly a great person with courage and a strong sense of self. Um, And hearing his story and his thoughts on his past religious life, particularly... Uh, before BJU, um, BJ, <clears throat> I'm not 12. I'm not 12. Hearing his story reminds me of so many guests I've had on Chapel Probation. His story reminds me of my own story, some of which I write about in my book, Asian American Apostate. Sorry, had to promote there for a second. But seriously, the way Christopher deconstructed while at BJU was... Let me start over. The way Christopher deconstructed while at BJU was similar to my own deconstruction. Being exposed to people in the world, questioning theology, weird theology and weird rules. Damn. I was called a harm to evangelical culture by my dean. And as you'll hear, Christopher was accused of like hurting uh, the cause. 
His story is far worse than mine, but the message is the same. There is no disagreeing. There is no protesting in those systems of oppression. I don't know about you all, but goddamn, listening to Christopher's recounting of the rape victim being forced to apologize for being raped and and being taken from her family. Anyone else scream when you heard that? My family thought I was having a psychotic episode tonight. You know, well, like most nights. Most nights that I'm doing this kind of work. So when Christopher organized his fellow students to rise up against BJU, it reminded me of the badass BIPOC kids and queer kids at APU who united to fight against the administration. For all the horrible shit these schools are guilty of, they do birth some incredible activists who become agents for change. Like real, real change. Uh, Final thoughts. Uh, The best line of the segment... I did not finish at BJU. I'm not 12. I might be 12. So, and also, Christopher. Christopher shows us that being true to himself and all aspects of his humanity and identity can come at a cost. But it can also give rise to parts of your identity you never imagined. So just out of curiosity, do you ever um, end up finishing your degree uh, at, at BJU? Or um, I did not finish we... at BJU. And oh, for that, okay. I am very thankful about. Yeah, um, I'm a little jealous. Yeah. <laughs> but I did go to uh, another worthless institution to finish. But um, so, yeah. So let's go back to December of 2011. Yes. Uh, lots of buzz online, getting really close to the protest, first ever in PJU history. Um, how do we get kids to stand up without, out, like, without getting themselves thrown yeah. out? How do we go? What does a protest look like at an institution where they can throw you out for protesting? What do the kids, what do you guys come up with as your way to? So, what I had suggested was you don't have to be involved, but if you want to be, wear some type of red. It could be a little flower that's red, a red shirt, um, anything like that. And if you wanted to, you could come to the – where did we stand? I think we stood um, right in front of Rotaheaver, somewhere around there. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Right there. Right in the front. Full view. Oh, Oh, yeah. And um, we had a whole bunch of red balloons, and we released them in memory of people. So some students were there. A lot of alumni came, a lot of media. And we released balloons. We talked. We um, you know, just described what we were um, there for and what we were seeing at the university and the changes we wanted. Um, but interesting uh, to point out a nice little tidbit – like a week before the protest, um, Chuck Phelps up and resigned. Wow. Uh, and I think that they they thought that Chuck Phelps resigning would stop the protest, but I had two other points. So I said, it's going on. <laughs> we will keep going. Um, but yes, so that actually, even with him resigning, built up even more media coverage. So That must have felt encouraging for the students who wanted to be a part of this to know, like, 
things are happening, mm-hmm. just to talk of the protest is getting things moving. Yeah. I'm hoping. Was that an encouragement to you, to the group of people who wanted to see these things at Bob it Jones? It was. See the change today? Yes, know? it was very encouraging. Like, there were so much conversation in these groups around that uh, as it was occurring. You know, obviously there was a little confusion, like, are we going to keep going? Are we going to do this? Uh, and of course, you know, me and, and the leadership team of Dura BJU said, yes, we are going to continue. Um, yeah, it was exciting. Uh, we saw that positive change being put into place, and um, it, w- it was good. And we, we had a nice little handful of current students that joined. Um, a lot of my close friends wore red. They were very concerned about retaliation. Mm-hmm. So not everybody came to stand in front of Rody Heaver or wherever we were. Um, but when I was in chapel that day, there was a, a, a not overwhelming, not anywhere near overwhelming, but there was some red in the audience, and that was encouraging to me. Um, and then we did have a lot. That's a clever way. Yeah, yeah. That was a really clever way to like to be like, here's the option, you can all stand with us, or if you're afraid, you can wear red. But like, how does the school, like if you just have a tiny bit of red on you, like... Yeah, what, what are they going to yeah. do? What, how can they prove you're being, <laughs> yeah, you know, your part? Maybe you just, breaking. yeah, maybe you just weren't paying attention yeah, to anything. I didn't hear about the red BJ, that day, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't follow those right. kind of accounts. Some of them, I just like the color red. Yeah, <laughs> it's very clever, and it's interesting because most schools would never have to worry about how do we protest discreetly. Like mm. this is a very different t- type of protest than what you would see at most universities. Yeah. This is not your kids out with picket signs standing. It's like there's options for trying to be discreet and supportive at the mm-hmm. same time, which is very unique. Yeah, it's uh, it's what look a high control environment protest could look like. It's. I don't know. Yeah. Like that's the first student protest that Bob Jones. That's kind of a historical, yeah. really neat thing that you um, encouraged and got got rolling. Yeah, I um, it's it's funny because the where I work currently, um, it's sort of known for its protests. There have been, uh, and and it's kind of how the university is, has has shifted over over the years. And there were there were massive protests over big big things. Um, there was even in, in the '90s. Uh, apparently, there was um, a former president of the university who um, made a statement at one point that um, black people were genetically inferior, and the 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 school rose up uh, in in massive massive protests. Um, since then, there have been quite a few changes um, at at the university. When, what year did you say that was? That was like 94, I think, 94 or 95. Isn't it shocking to you that we were alive and those conversations were happening about human I know, right? beings? I know. Like, Ugh. I don't understand. Just, I mean, it's 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 sort of the American history. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's sort of the, you know, the U.S. was built on the backs of black enslavement. Mm-hmm. Like, that. that's American. That's the history they get scared. They try and literally legislate to keep out of school so the U.S. could never have to look right. at that and think about the kind of the start right. of things and what's been baked into the Constitution from the beginning and the get-go. And who was that written for yeah. when it says yeah. all that? I mean, we're still yeah. dealing with the consequences of that. That's why um, higher education is not free in America, because they didn't want black right. people to go be able to go to school. Exactly. Defund public schools. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah. channel it into to homeschooling and private yeah, charter schools. Schools. Charter yeah. schools yeah. I mean, Bob Jones... Bob Jones's own history literally was a response to exactly. that. Like my Christian school back home in Florida was a direct response to desegregation. Mm. 
that is where the Christian school movement came from. Yeah. These white people didn't want their little babies to be around people that they didn't find acceptable. Yep. And that is disgusting. So that's 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 BJU. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's where we come from. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. So these days, um, what do you, do you have anything you idea you have you haven't been in church in ten years. Thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, but do you have do you have any kind of um, identification as far as your spirituality, or 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 even just uh, a way a way that you approach um, life and the world around you? Um, is that driven by any kind of spirituality or faith, or is that that driven by by a belief in yourself or humanity? What does that look like for you? Um, I would not call myself spiritual. I often um, ponder reincarnation. Um, I hope that we, you know, get to go and choose to come back and continue growing. I think that's a beautiful story, but um, who knows? Who, who knows if it's true? Mm. But I think um, in this life, we should all be striving to be the best we can be to each other, you know, spread kindness and love and help those that are, um, you know, those less fortunate than us. Um, I try to, you know, just bring that positive energy and change into my life by um, being empathetic with others who are going through challenges. But spirituality does not resonate with me anymore. Mm. I look at the amazing impact that you've left on BJU. Um, I look at I mean, you talk about your protest and, and how Chuck Phelps, you know, was pushed, he resigned right before. Um, you had your other goals. Mm -hmm. And I know we didn't touch on that, but I wanted to, I did want us to go there oh, yeah. for a sec, because you're talking about making a difference and, and um, Grace. Oh, yeah. Yes, Grace. So, <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, you know. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Other people are like, what, what are they talking Grace? about Grace for? <laughs> oh, are they going to go back into that uber spiritual thing where they just cover it all yeah. with God's grace? <laughs> That's not where mm -hmm. we're going, if you thought so. Okay. Tell us about Grace and what, what was the resulting of what, what you did. The school tried to squash you. They kicked you out. Okay, we didn't even get to the kicked out part. Yeah. Yeah. We're missing a lot yeah. of pieces to this. So um, where, where do we want to go first? Do we want to talk about Grace first or do we want to talk about what happened to you? You getting kicked um, out. In, in the aftermath of all of this. Well, let's go to the kicking out first, if that's okay. Okay, cool. So, did yeah. the protest, um, got some media coverage, but mm -hmm. things were fine. Nobody got kicked out. Uh, it was like December 12th. Uh, I think winter break was right after that. Uh, so, went home to Florida. You know, started the new semester. My final semester at Bob Jones. I will be out of y'all's hair. I have my paper. I'm going to go home. Mm -hmm. I'll send you my money to pay off this debt, and it'll be over. Y'all do you, I'll do me. Happy day. Well, come back to school, and you know, I had told you that they had already had me in counseling, and they were monitoring me. Well, that went from that to like a thousand times more. Mm -hmm. And this is after the this protest. This is after the protest. So now there's no spotlight from the media yes. to say, like, mm. is Christopher going to get kicked out for doing the protest? Yes. Protest is done. Yep. So me So now they changed their now tone. Now they started changing their tone. So I remember I came back and one of my first counseling sessions was uh, my floor leader telling me that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring a big sword and I'll be the first one he kills. What the fuck? Mm. 
what? Because I hurt the cause of Christ. I swear, I'm a broken record, My but they love God. calling it the cause of Christ. They they do. They <laughs> do. That is one of their favorite phrases. Yeah. Hurting the cause of Christ. And he God. told me that I was going to be cut down with the sword. Wow. No, I just can't fathom that this mm-hmm. is what they said yeah. to you. So I had like five months I had to get through. And I said, okay, I know this is going to be hard. I know this is going to be a lot of whatever, whatever, a lot of counseling, a lot of bullshit, but I'm going to get through it. I can do anything for five months. Mm-hmm. Um, and go into my counseling sessions. You know, I probably had a handful of demerits, maybe like 25, 30 by this time, you know, just for stupid stuff. Yeah. Like they come in, oh, there's a piece of paper on your floor. You know, you've five demerits, whatever. You know how it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, Forgot to make your bed, whatever, yeah. all those things. For people who don't know, yes, you get points taken off for having a piece of paper on your dorm room floor. Oh, yeah. yeah, clutter. Or for not it's, making it's clutter. your bed. Clutter, yeah, not making your yeah. bed. Um, but then they would start coming in at like 11.30 at night to my room to check in on me. And, um, you know, I might have a little bit of five o'clock shadow that had grown in since I shaved that morning. Oh, Chris, you didn't shave. 11.30? Yeah. Like right before lights out, and they'd be like, "Oh, you're gonna get demerits because you've got a five o'clock shadow." So I have twenty five demerits there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or so, um, so. This is a this is something that I've I've talked about before. Sorry to interject, but like they were always so clever about this, right? They didn't. Oh yeah. Um, you know, my facial hair grew in a couple days, like a, a day or two slower than than most people, being East Asian, mm-hmm. a, little, a little behind. So I could get away with skipping shaving for a day. And no one would be the wiser. It would take two days for for uh, a five o'clock shadow to come in for me. So I could skip a day. And some people got a little wise to that. So instead of asking me, uh, or instead of coming at me with like, you know, the five o'clock shadow question, they would ask me, did mm. you shave today? Mm. And of course, I would say, well, no, I don't need to. Plus, my skin didn't handle that very yes. well. So I would skip a day because A, my facial hair didn't grow in that quickly. And B, I, if I did shave every day, I would be a red, splotchy mess. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to walk around campus like that. I was a single college student who wanted to attract girls. I don't want to rock, walk around with red patches all over my face. Um, but they were clever, and I get the demerits. So yeah, so you got the demerits for having a 5 o'clock shadow at 11.30 p.m. Yeah. God almighty. Yep. Um, and I remember one time I had posted lyrics to some contemporary Christian song about Jesus's love or some bullshit like that. Um, and of course, the next day I get called into the Tina men's office and they're like, Christopher, um, you know, these lyrics are not appropriate. We're going to have to give you demerits because you were listening to music that's banned. And I said, I wasn't listening to it. It's literally the lyrics. Didn't matter. Got demerits for that. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was still chugging along. It's probably like March by this point. And I think I was up to like 80 or 90, maybe 100 demerits. I'm like, okay, well, this is more than I've ever had, but I've only got a couple more months. I can make it. Well, I think it was probably May, maybe in like April. I had gone, I had walked over, crossed a little bridge and gone down um, Wade Hampton. I believe mm-hmm. that's the name of the road. Yeah. And gone to the Starbucks right there. Okay. And I was sitting on my computer and I was watching Glee. I'm a raging homosexual. Of course I was watching Glee. <laughs> uh, this is back when it was super big. But, um, and there was no... I got into Glee. Yes, it was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, great being yep. what it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, there was no rule in the rule book about watching TV shows off campus. There was nothing like that. 
there is now because of me, but that's another story. <laughs> wow. um, but they had their little people that were following me and reporting back. So I see, you know, somebody walk in from Bob Jones and then I'm like, oh God, I'm probably gonna have to talk about this because they see I'm watching um, TV on my computer. And, um, of course I get called in and, um, they of course say Glee is a reprobate show. It has homosexuals on it and women in skirts and dancing. And, um, and I said, well, uh, I can understand why you're saying that, but can you point to me in the rule book where it's against the rules? And they could not, but I still got demerits for that. So at that point, I think I was like 125 demerits. Um, and I think I had. Did you start to think I might not make it? Yes, oh, God. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. Um, and then. And it, that's just creepy. I'm sorry that you're being followed around like oh, yeah. the surveillance culture of Bob Jones, that not even just on the property, but anywhere you go in town, yeah. that there are going to be other students trying to spy on you is creepy. Yeah. And, and like, remember from Lance's story, right? even at another university yeah. in Greenville. Right, that's where he got busted. Mm-hmm. Right, it wasn't even at. It was on a different yeah. campus. He was at Furman when university. he got in trouble. Wow. Oh yeah. man, like that they'd follow you Oof. into another university to like get you to catch you. Yeah, so you're at 125 demerits, so, approximately somewhere around there. Approximately, yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember what caused this, but it was nine days before graduation, and. I got the call to go into John Dalton's office. I think I posted something else on Facebook about, I don't even know what. I think it was another lyric or something that I didn't think was as bad. Um, But, you know, he was like, well, Christopher, um, you know, this is another 25 demerits, and that's going to put you at 150. And unfortunately, we're going to have to kick you out. And I said, John... Or no, of course I wouldn't say that. I said, <laughs> Mr. Dalton, um, let's be real. We un- I understand that this is in retaliation for Jury PGU and the protest. Um, you've already stated that you're going to kick me out, and I'm going to tell you right now: if you do that today, I will have every news media on my doorstep by this afternoon. You kick me out, it'll be all over the news again. And he said. Okay, well, we won't give you demerits for that, but now we're going to give you demerits for trying to blackmail us. And so I said, that's fine. I was getting kicked out either way, bitch. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, of course, I called up the news yeah. nine days before graduation. They were happy to take that story. Bunch of alumni rented a plane, had this huge banner, Do Right BJU, that flew over graduation. Wow. Um, wow. But I, I did get kicked out. Um, and, Probably the best thing that's ever happened in my life. I would not want a piece of paper from them um, to even wipe my tail end on. So, yeah, got kicked out. Wow, good for you. But I did get to threaten, uh, and I did actually follow through with the blackmail with John Dalton, and I hope uh, he had lots of lovely conversations with Bob Jones III about that one. Ooh, I, ooh, <laughs> God, I got chills. Who wouldn't want to be a fly <laughs> on the wall? <laughs> like, like. Ah, I got those good good chills, you know, like that. Well, because you know the characters in this story, Nate, yeah. like very in so, depth. So, uh, so <laughs> we've got to we we've got to cover um, now the the aftermath, right? Like the because at the end of the day, they, the the university retaliated, but the news is out there. There there's a problem with the way that this school, this administration, mm-hmm. the counseling department, the psychology department at the school handles cases of sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, Did Grace come in after they kicked you so, out? So, 
Was that interestingly? Um, I read after I got kicked out that they were already in negotiations to hire on Grace, but it hadn't been announced until I had been kicked out, and I think they announced it in the summer. Okay, so for uh, for those of you listening and, and wondering how you call Grace, um, you know, uh, aside from you know your relative, your aunt, your cousin named Grace, <laughs> um, there there is an organization. Um, it, uh, it's an advocacy group. Um, called Godly Response to Abuse in Christian Environments. It's led up by uh, Billy Graham's grandson, yeah, Boss, Boss, Boss Division. Division. And if you've you've heard, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you've heard us mention uh, Grace um, with respect to Hillsong, uh, because mm. Boss Division has has gotten involved with certain incidents involving Hillsong College, as far as helping uh, helping to advocate for a student who was sexually abused. Uh, sexually assaulted by a leader at at Hillsong College, but so so Grace, this organization, uh, was called by the university to to what to do an investigation. To do an investigation. Well, I find that so interesting that they're in negotiations with them and they wait till after. And you got press. I mean, not only did press cover the fact you got kicked out, but then to fly an airplane. That sounds awesome. But like, I can. I can imagine that, you know, to these men who love power and who like to have the final word on things, you kind of figured out a way to have your final mm. word stamped onto things as you left. And I'm sure that aggravated the hell out of them. Like, I'm sure these white men who, you know, they want to threaten you and kick you out don't want you having your last word. So you've shone a spotlight and you have the media back on BJU after protests has been, they probably, you know, side your side, okay, that's done. Now we're going to retaliate in Christopher, against Christopher. And they're probably not thinking like long game, right? Like that this could backfire on them, even if you kick, they kick you out later on. Um, now they have attention back on them. They have this conversation getting reignited. So even though they're in talks with Grace, now they've got to like show that they are a university that cares about the harm done mm, to committed students. to change and mm, right committed to change so this comes out after they've kicked you out and i just want to say like it is um it is a fruit of your labor because not just in in ticking them off which is great you got them that angry that they they were just looking for a reason to get rid of you but like this was a movement that was building on campus through what you were doing. And that was one of your three requests. Even after Ch- Chuck Phelps resigned, it was like, no, we're still protesting. We want accountability for the school. That is one of the three things we want. And so you're kicked out. And this goes forward. They actually hire Grace in. And this yes. is an interesting story. Were you following along, like, keeping tabs on what was, was happening after was you left? I was watching because, you know, they hired them on. They had them for a little bit. Then they fired them because they weren't – Grace wasn't doing what mm-hmm. they wanted them to do. Yep. And then they got another Which huge backlash about yep. that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. These people. Oh, and I signed like, my imagine, name on that petition. Uh, me too. I'm like, bring like, them imagine, back. Like, imagine as students, you they, – they've – They've questioned so many people and have taken the time to interview. These women have opened up about their stories. They've had to relive their trauma in hopes that the university can make change. And then the university is like, wait, us power men, we're not in control. We hired this organization. They're not Mm -hmm. doing what we want. They're trying to hold us to account. Uh, No, we're done with this investigation. And what did Bob Jones give us their sort of excuse for letting go of Grace? What was their their spin on did they're not they're not doing this yeah, properly I, or I like believe it was like there was just a yeah, like, like a disagreement on this is outside of the scope of what yes, we asked yeah. them to Something do. Like it was yeah. like that. Um I don't know that we got the exact reasons, but basically what I gathered was Grace wanted to be fully transparent 
and Bob Jones wanted to have a very limited scope uh, of what they were reviewing and to be able to control the narrative when the report got released. And Grace was like, no, we're an independent um, agency that's going to come in and review everything and release our findings on our own with what we find, and you will not control our narrative. Mm. Which is, this is just fascinating. Like, it just, I was, Nate and I were recovering the story before we had you on reading the, 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 <laughs> the article that was talking about it, and it said, you know, the school, <laughs> when they got the backlash because they fired Grace, they said, oh, no, no, we weren't trying to really fire them. We had planned yeah, to hire yeah, them yeah, back. Yeah. We just <laughs> needed to fire them so we could have a conversation with them where they weren't, we weren't contractually with them at that moment so we could talk. I swear, these leaders of Bob Jones are so <laughs> stupid. And they've got so much power over everyone in there. They think they could just say whatever and people will believe it. Yeah. Like that is the yeah. I mean, that was so ridiculous to oh read as like an excuse, <laughs> really right? Is. Like it's like, no, you guys thought you could get away with letting them go and you got mm. backlash and now you're trying to spin right. some ridiculous tale of what you were trying right. to do all along. God. Ugh. So Grace does finish the investigation, yes. and they do go through with it, and reports come out about what has been going on at Bob Jones, which I'm sure for you was probably not, not a, surprise. a surprise. But having um, you know those stories out there mm. uh, and, and getting messages back saying thank you for doing these things that allowed this to happen, so I could get my story out there. Um, it was. Do you remember where you were when when this was wrapping up? And do you remember that that moment where you realized this happened? Um, I was in Charlotte by that point because it, it took a while for them to release a report. From what I remember, I don't remember exactly, but um, I, I just remember the the piece that I got um, and just thinking back on everything that I had gone through, and you know, after I got kicked out immediately they told me get out i didn't have a car i didn't have any money i was literally thrown on the streets without those people in these facebook groups that were telling me their stories they brought me in i laid on people's couches for weeks mm. and then i got sent to another person another lady's house she let me live with her and her family for months like without these people, I would have been homeless. Were these people connected to the university? They people had gone through the system yeah, and got yeah. chewed and spit out. Um, yeah, they showed me so much love and kindness, um, and, and I was terrified. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Like, <laughs> I didn't have a college degree. I had all this debt. I had no job, no car, mm -hmm. but I made it through. And then, you know, a couple months later, getting all of these messages, it just reiterated that. You know, it was worth it. It was important um, being able to get these stories out there and hopefully some healing for some of these mm. people. It, it just, um, it was worth it. Yeah. <sighs> yep. I got the chills yeah. now. <laughs> Happy yeah. chills. I think I love stories that end well. I'm one of those people that wants my movies and TV shows <laughs> to have happy endings. And I like, look, we talk about evangelical BS all the time on this show. And um, not everything has a happy ending. And, you know, I'm not going to say there's a happy ending at Bob Jones. I'm sure this is still happening today. But I am thankful that in your part of the story, you have been able to you got you got to go forward with the goals that your protest set out to yeah. do. You got to see some stuff materialize. And I think that could serve as an inspiration for people in these scenarios to to see what part they could play. Yeah. In, in, and, I, and I'm always cautious to say that because I think a lot of people overestimate what they can do to change. Like Bob Jones is still Bob Jones today. Like, yes, they're walking on grass. That's and what they're, they're doing the today, those rebels. 
You're seeing some men's ankles going on, but uh, Bob Jones is still Bob Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Those queer kids are still in trouble in those universities, and it is still an oppressive environment. Um, but you shone a light, and you brought awareness, and you helped people who had been victimized and silenced felt heard. Yes. And that's huge in those scenarios. So I'm thankful for, for what you've done, and I appreciate you choosing to come to tell your story and to talk with us about all that. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it. I know it's been a long time, but it's good to remember, you know, where we've come, where we've gone, Mm -hmm. our path. Um, So, you know, I had said that we had three main goals. Mm -hmm. Um, It was remove Chuck Phelps, bring in an investigative body, and then revamp the counseling. Um, Part of the Grace investigation, Bob Jones committed to revamping their counseling. I don't know what it's like. But at least they have revamped it somewhat. So, um, I have I have bad news. Oh, no. <laughs> um, part. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure you probably did your your due diligence and read through as much of the report as you could. Um, it's 300 pages, um, so it's a lot. Yes, it, it's it's a lot to go through. There were two names specifically uh, mentioned quite a few times as problematic people. Um, at the university, and and I'm sure you can figure out at least one of them. Um, Jim Berg. Jim Berg, <laughs> exactly. That name comes up with anyone who talks about Bob Jones. Yep, and <clears throat> so the report had recommended that Jim Berg be removed, if not from the university entirely, um, at least kept far away from, from doing any counseling, counseling and psychology yeah. program. Um, they did for a time, uh, temporarily, and he's he's now back. He's on their psychology or counseling faculty um, right now. Uh, uh, last I checked, which was a few months ago, I am surprised his old ass is still alive. Yeah, he's With got that evil in his heart. Oh my god, right? You know, you know that evil eats you from the inside <laughs> out. I'm surprised he, he's not just a shell of a man now. <laughs> I'd like to actually see <sighs> him. I'm, I'm I'm willing to bet those pictures of him on his like ministry. He's got a ministry website for some stuff that is some. They're probably yeah. 20 years old. Yeah, it's probably from from you know 2006. <laughs> yeah, our time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. So that's that's. that's one, yeah, and that's one unfortunate. And then uh, Rand Hummel's name actually came up apparently in the report. Yes, and I don't know. I don't know um, the the uh, the aftermath of Rand, Rand Hummel, but um, I do know that I've heard his the his his favorite sermon illustration that he tells often. I went to the Wilds camp for <laughs> my senior trip in high school. Was the Wilds? That sucks. Oh, what a lovely senior trip. <laughs> I know. I know. A week at the wilds and having to listen to to Rand Hummel oh my God. bloviate about his accomplishments. Went to the counseling room. She's weeping and weeping. And the sponsor came and said, can you help us? I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. I said, well, we don't know her well. She's only been in our school a couple months. She's very intelligent, but she never smiles and she doesn't have any friends. I went back and sat across. She continued to weep the longest time. And finally, she looked up and she said, God hates me. I said, young lady, life is not fair, but God's love never changes. Why do you think God hates you? She said, if God loved me, all these terrible things would never happen in my life. I don't even know who my real parents are. They dumped me off at an orphanage. My mom and dad that adopted me. When I was nine, they started fighting and they got a divorce. Mom got married again when I was 11. From the time I was 13 to 15, my stepdad took physical liberties with me. Mom found out and divorced him. God hates me. I said, young lady, you've lived a very difficult life. But but let's look at your sin in this situation. When I said that, she lost it. She said, my sin, it wasn't me. My mom, my dad, my stepdad. 
I said, yeah, you've allowed the sin of these folks to create such anger and hatred and bitterness in your heart. Then it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, she didn't have any friends, and many be defiled, you know, she never could smile. Finally, God broke her heart, and she got on her knees and asked God to forgive her. When she got off her knees, I said, that's the first part in handling this bitterness and anger. Now you need to go home and ask your mom, your dad, and your stepdad forgiveness for your hatred towards them. She said, Rand, I can't. I said, you've got to. You exercise yourself. The book of Acts have a conscience void, empty of offense between God and men. Finally, she said, I can't do it, and left camp. I got a letter from her. She said, all the way home. Couldn't get out of my mind. Finally decided, no, it's too hard. I can't deal with this. She said, when I got to the school, I couldn't believe it. My dad was visiting there to pick me up. And all the way to the house in his truck, I couldn't even talk. And finally he said, what's wrong? And I started to cry and then asking to forgive me for being so angry with him because he left me when I was nine. She said, uh, I went and made things right with my mom and called my stepdad. Gang, I'll never forget what she wrote at the bottom of that letter. She said, finally, for the first time in my teenage life, I can smile. This was the worst sermon I have ever heard in my entire life. It wasn't just bad, and it was it was short. The piece I listened to, but I I like I I was traumatized after listening to this yeah. really short part of yeah, him sermonizing, his, his and I was like, sermon illustration. This yeah. man is is pure evil. evil. Like I was just blown away at how terrible of like a human you could be to say those things out loud. As a complete side What's note, his name? Rand Humble. Rand, I can't even say his name anymore. <laughs> As a side note, I cannot imagine the levels of abuse. Now, I have not heard any stories, but the levels of abuse that have probably occurred at that wild Christian camp, and I went there for years. Oh, I would not, I would be, not surprised. be surprised. With what they teach, mm-hmm. the people that are there, you know, just the, the yeah. openness. Can you imagine thinking that you're right and putting that on? YouTube for the public to hear. I think somebody because it's it's from a chapel sermon at at, at BJU. He's he's at. Um, uh, oh, they FMA. leaked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have one last question for uh, our chapel probation um, folks. One of one of the things that Scott likes to do is is kind of ask you know what um, what your thoughts are about the um, the institution you came from. Um, so where do you fall on this scale? How do you feel BJU, about Bob Jones <clears throat> University? Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's the scale. On the one end, um, BJU is extreme, but I understand, you know, for some people it can be okay. On the other end is fuck BJU, burn the whole thing down. Um, do, you, do you fall somewhere on the spectrum of that one, one end or the other? Well, I mean, can I be both? People have their own ability to go to Bob Jones if they choose to, but literally fuck Bob Jones. If it burned down today, <laughs> yeah. I would not shed mm-hmm. a tear. Um, I think it is a cult. You would go get your marshmallows. <laughs> literally, I'd drive down to Greenville right now. <laughs> um, I do not blame you. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see here thinking about it every day. I'm not pressed about Bob Jones anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I do take a lot of comfort in the fact that they went from when, when you were there, and I, I think they were around what seven thousand students, eight thousand. Mm-hmm. I think when yeah, I think around the time that I was there, it was probably somewhere between six yeah, and eight thousand so in total. That included undergrad okay. and and the grad. Um, but by the time I left and the protest happened the next year, it was basically cut in half. And I take a yeah. lot of pride in the fact that I hurt their bottom line. Mm. Um, I yeah. am sad that it didn't close. I wanted that place to shutter. But um, fuck Bob Jones. 
Yeah. There is still hope. There's still, There's still hope, hope for yep. the future. Mm. I have hope for the future. I, I, as we talk on our podcast, if, if you know potential students look, the reality is, you know, they used to try and control all the media you brought in. Apparently, there's even more of that. Kids being allowed to listen to stuff that yeah. they couldn't access. They can have headphones, they can have headphones now. now. Yeah, right. I kept. Are you? I kept. Look, I had an iPod, and I kept a pair of those little earbuds in my pillowcase. Mm. Um, yeah. And whenever, uh, when white glove inspections came around, <laughs> see, I was friends with a bunch of townies. And so I would just bring all of my contraband out and drop them off in, in my townies' friends' cars. And we'd go off campus. I'd go hang out at their house and wait until white glove was, was over and <laughs> bring all of my contraband. Damn. And by contraband, I'm not talking about like illicit drugs or anything like that. I'm talking about no, no. Uh, no. like, you know, R-rated movie. <laughs> movies um and and rock music my, my cd collection in my big rock, folio christian rock yeah. music it doesn't have to no, be, it doesn't secular, have to be music. secular music it's christian yeah, rock christian. music no. but i think th- these not even christian rock it could be just yeah christian, christian music that, christian worship music like, that yeah. doesn't fit there yeah. i mean it's yeah. extreme i think even when you say things like townie people are like what's that is yeah commuter person students. who goes yeah. to bob jones who yeah the commuter students there's so much bob jones yeah there really is there's a lot of jargon i apologize contraband lance had like a whole lexicon in yeah, in the back Celine. of his book, he's got like a whole the the, yeah, the, the being shipped, all the weird yeah. terms. Oh yeah, boge. <laughs> the yeah, boges. Bo- uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yep. So, yep. Uh, Chris, thank you, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been uh, a a wild conversation. Um, it's brought me back. There are a lot of things <laughs> that I that I haven't thought about in a while. Um, but uh, but in a good way. This is not his first chat about BJU, yeah. but it's uh, each time I can tell how much it takes mm-hmm. for Nate to even. Like, so I can't even imagine for you, Christopher, because I yeah. know in all of Nate's crazy church experiences, and he's gone through a lot. I mean, from Hillsong yeah. to to the Mark Driscoll <laughs> yeah. church, he's had his his kind of. But Bob Jones is one of those that when he goes there, it's it's, it's intense. intense. It's something that unless you've been there, it sounds like it's a very unique. Uh, traumatizing experience so to revisit your past with us to take the time to go through that with us we totally value and appreciate you doing that well and gail nate thank you guys for having me on it has been a privilege and an honor to come on here and tell my story um gail it's nice meeting you nate it's great seeing you again thank you for having me on and, and giving me this opportunity and um hopefully if anyone's listening that's thinking about going to bob jones don't Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and pretty much every other podcast app. Just search for Full Mutuality on your app of choice or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, for links to all the apps you can subscribe to us on. And if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website. A quick review is one of the best ways you can support us. Speaking of support, you can also partner with us on Patreon. For just $5 a month, you'll be helping us produce this podcast and you'll get access to other content such as exclusive episodes, access to occasional live stream recording sessions, and more. Just head over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to sign up. Thank you again for hanging out with us today, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content.